0: Guys, this episode of the Food Beast Ketchup has a beautiful sponsor and their names are Dean's Dairy Dip. It's my favorite dip on the market. It's versatile. You can use it as a straight up dip or you can incorporate it into a dish like a true food beast. And here's here's what I've been doing. I I do a grilled cheese with it. I lather one end of it with uh, the French onion dean's dairy dip that's my favorite flavor and the other side i just put whatever cheese i have available at my house i put both the sides together and i lather the outsides actually again with more dean's dip instead of a butter and then i grill it up in a pan i flip it once i cut it in half i serve it and everybody's happy it's literally the easiest dopest dish you can think of so i need you guys to immediately go to the store safely go to the dairy aisle Pick up some Dean's Dairy Dip, support the homies for supporting the podcast, support your stomach with a really delicious dish, and then tag me. Tag me on Instagram with whatever you create. Even if you're just dunking a burger or a chicken nugget into the Dean's Dairy Dip like a legend, do that and tag me because the more we support Dean's Dairy Dip, the more we support our Foobies family, the happier we all are. I'm saying, bro, it's just a beautiful vibe. So anyways, here's another beautiful episode of The Catch-Up. Welcome to The Catch-Up. Introducing your hosts. Eli Abram. Editor.
1: And. Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast series. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy. There's not one person in this entire world that believes you.
0: All right. And welcome to the catch up. Oh, what a week. What are we people are going to think like my week is mad simple when I talk about how much I want to talk about these two topics. So, guys, it's time to catch up on this Popeye's madness every day people are asking have you tried that new popeye's chicken sandwich is it worth the wait so we're just gonna jump in i promise it's not just about a popeye's chicken sandwich this week we have our friend steve brumucci of pop culture and entertainment website up rocks Give it. uh he's a published author himself he's been on this podcast before he's a friend of ours Uh, More importantly, he leads an awesome team of writers across the world. They've written extensively, both about this sandwich, other fried chicken sandwiches, and some shit that's been happening across the country. Long lines, stabbings, fights, deaths, lawsuits, social media beef around a chicken (laughs) sandwich. And I've had a hell of a week myself trying to talk about this stuff. So Steve, you always give us some fresh new perspective outside of our food porn obsession so welcome back to the catch up my friend
2: thank you guys for having me thank you for that intro too which i really hope makes it on to my headstone or my obituary which started out like this really gassing me up like steve bermucci like done all this cool and then it was like and has edited a lot of stories <laughs> about a chicken sandwich, and I really I started to feel sad. I was like, I have edited a lot of stories about chicken this past couple
0: of weeks. He's done a lot more than that. Danger Gang is his book I've that I've s- seen everywhere. I was yeah. just in Miami, and I'm in a bookstore, and boom, there's my friend's book, like right on the shelf. I was like, dude, this dude's everywhere. Um, Wait, but how many articles have you edited about chicken sandwiches? Now I'm such curious. an insane
2: number. Such an insane
1: number. Like, do I you mean, think that actual number though is like a hundred? Chicken, san- chicken sandwich articles in your lifetime. In
2: my lifetime? Oh, God, it's easily
0: 100.
1: <laughs> it's easily 100. Which means that we have an author- a authority in the building. Yes.
0: Uh, Steve is for sure an authority. And oh, there's no going-
2: doubt. Like when I walk in, if you guys were like, hey, in which issues are you stretching the sauce? And in which issues can we really count on you to just be on point? Because I try to get on this show a lot. <laughs> and if you said like chicken sandwich, we need someone, I'd be like, Yeah, that legit, that is me.
0: <laughs> I know this shit. Yo, I I'm, lived it. Real quick though, why are you so I never took you as anyone that's not just already kind of fit and skinny, but you look really mm. skinny right now. Like am, really fit.
2: I'm very skinny. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, you look I'm good. Wasting what, away.
0: What's what is the deal?
2: Um, I am on a very bizarre diet that I devised myself. I call it the food writer's diet.
0: (laughs) What's the food writer's diet? The food
2: writer's diet is this. is like I can't walk into a restaurant and go in and be like, um, yeah, I'm not going to have that. Let's not have any gluten. Let's avoid this. I like to go in and be like, oh, yeah, I'm all in for sure. You know, bring me your finest meats and cheeses and also like three desserts. Yeah, I like it. So to remedy that, I have been trying my whole life to do different things. I have a pretty good metabolism or I had a pretty good one. But then I like had a kid. I, I, I put on like 55 pounds really quickly. And I was like, Damn. I want to take those 55 pounds off. Um, so, and I still want to eat whatever I want. <laughs> and I eat like the, you know, the nights I don't eat out and I'm not doing food writing. I literally eat mac and cheese probably three nights a week. I really like mac and cheese. It has like a, <laughs> a really sweet spot. I have like seven different ones that I do. So anyway, uh, it's an easy recipe for gaining a lot of weight. And I figured out this thing. I started doing the intermittent fasting, which everyone's on. Yeah. And then I started pushing that window further and further. And now I do really, to be honest, about 23 and 30, 23 and a half and and 30 minutes eating or what the diet, I think it actually has a name. I researched it after the fact and other people do it. They call it 23 and one, which is you don't eat for 23 hours. You don't take in any calories for 23 hours. And then you take in calories for one hour. And because of that, your body goes into ketosis. It just doesn't even have a choice. And then it, it takes in calories and then it burns them off throughout the day.
0: Dang. So in that half hour, you yeah. just do you are you eating something specific or is it that mac and cheese? Are you just I mean grubbing? some days
2: it's mac and cheese. Some days I do whatever I want. Like I wouldn't feel guilty about having much. Last night I made a pazoki at my house, <laughs> which is like not <laughs> you know, not like the breakfast of champions exactly. But um but yeah, so I, I mostly have whatever I want. I do think about like more now. I am cognizant of what healthy food looks like, but also after not eating for 23 and a half hours, you, don't you care. get really hungry and you're like, "No, you know what looks sweet is mac and cheese." So it it's kind of a balance, but it's not that great of a balance. Like, so like
0: are you hungry during the day or has it as have you been doing this long enough now we're like, "You know what? Like I'm good. I'm busy during the day yeah, and that hour just comes body's to My body is
2: like really tuned to it. My vibe is really tuned to it. I mean, I have to say, and this sounds so weird, it has coincided with a more existential, uh, contemplative period of my life, and I can't tell if they're related or not, but I do, like, I have thought about bigger, deeper, wilder, wider things lately at the same time as I'm not eating for 23 hours a day. I can't, I don't know if that's it. I don't know if that's it, but, but, you know, the long and the short of it, I do take some supplements too for, for what is, for full disclosure. Um, but the long and the short of it is like my body is really nicely tuned to this right now and likes it best, seems to like it best. I am not, you know, before you guys get murdered on social media, which I think happens every time I come, yeah. which is why you guys space me out every four months. <laughs> yeah, you like, yeah, yeah. I have to recover from the murder. Right, right. <laughs> like, can we handle getting attacked on social media again, or should we let it breathe for a little bit? And I think, um, you know, ultimately I am not a, a proponent of crash dieting. This is absolutely sounds like a crash diet what i am a proponent of is what i would call um intuitive living Mm. and my body likes this so i'm all right with it i'm gonna keep doing my shit yeah and i am not diet shaming anyone right it's just it's working for my body and my body likes it by the way i i have a cheat day at least i mean if not every week at least once every two weeks where i eat and my stomach has shrunken i've lost for your listeners who aren't seeing me, I've lost about uh, 55, 60 pounds since the last time I was here.
0: Which is what was it like three four months ago? Three yeah. four months? Yeah, yeah, it was... yeah.
2: So I was I was here maybe four months ago, and since then I've lost about thirty five pounds. I lost fifty five since the maybe two trips back since last wow. January. Um, but it's all happened really natural, and it's you know my body seems to enjoy it, and I I feel great, and so yeah, it's been good.
1: Does your when, when does your wife eat? She
2: does whatever the hell she wants. She's she so not a, annoying she, when you no, go No, she has an incredible metabolism. She's also younger than me, so her metabolism's working different. Um, so she, yeah, she's
0: fine. <laughs>
1: but what, like, what has that done to like your social life, though?
0: Yeah, like if we wanted to go eat right now, you're out unless this is the hour, and then you gave up. Yeah, you know, but, eating like, tonight.
2: like,
1: I, I'm not a
2: sociopath. You know, like I have cheat days. I figure out things. My stomach has shrunk, so if we went out, you know a year ago literally a year ago we went out to breakfast my my rhythm that i think i created in college cuz i was a, that that classic starving student was like they put food in front of you you eat, you eat until that shit is gone mm-hmm. especially in our field if someone else is paying for it <laughs> like, you just keep going and and it took me a long time to get out of that rhythm and out of that wave and um and now i'm in this place where we could go and maybe I'd cheat and maybe I'd have a muffin or whatever, but I could stop myself at the muffin. And if you guys were having unlimited brunch and you were like, this is crazy, we're having a, look how many fucking eggs I'm having. <laughs> I could be like, oh, I'm gonna have one piece of bacon and chill. So it's a whatever it is, it has led to some healthier habits for me. Well, like I you- did it because I had my man Zach on here last time. Yeah. And you guys wrote up a whole article about him. And our whole company shared it. And they're like, Zach's so cool. They
0: <laughs> we like went around the whole Slack channel. Zach lost 100 and, pounds. And I was Zach like, I could lose them.
2: weight too.
0: Just you all weight. Well, I like that you called it a, a food writer's diet. Because, yeah, when we go out, you almost feel this obligation to the people to to order as much as possible sure, because you need to know what's good and what's not good. So if I go to a restaurant like, yo, Eli, what was good there? If I didn't order everything, how can I possibly tell you what's good and what's not? And it's this cyclical, sick battle that you have with yourself. And that's why you overeat. And uh, we were talking to Farley Elliott of... Either. Of eater and he yeah. r- runs into that. So he's looking great right now, by the way. Shout right. out to Farley. But he last time he talked about it, like his goal is he wants to live long enough to be able to continue to do the job that he loves, is sure. write about food in his community. And so it's you know one of the weird problems we have to deal with. But it's a weird one.
2: And I the way I've dealt with it is I'll take one if I'm especially if it's a hosting right. Especially if I'm not paying money and that leads to this other level of gluttony. Um, but I'll take you know one per day. And then that's when I eat. That's when my window is. And it works really well for me, you know, because I do have dessert. And I do have what wouldn't work well for me is writing about a restaurant and being like, well, I didn't have any pasta. It's an Italian place. I didn't have any pizza. But I don't know. Like their charcuterie board was good. I I didn't eat the crackers. But, you know, like or having some regimented diet. What works for me is to go like, okay, how about this? I just won't have anything all day. And then I'll do whatever I want for this one little window.
1: There's also an etiquette and a generosity in the industry because some of my favorite people are in the industry. And even if I'm literally going there to support, right? Like a couple weeks ago, uh, I went to Mini Kebab in Glendale just to see Mm -hmm. Armin. I wanted to like purchase his food and I wanted to eat it. He won't let me, and that was not my goal to go there to get a comped meal. Right. But then what he serves me is an amazing platter built for at least two people, and then I'm going to eat it in front of him. Like, (laughs) I'm going to eat most (laughs) of it, you know, because reputation to uphold. Well, one, it's delicious, but two, it's someone putting food in front of me. I'm going to eat, like, I'm going to eat as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, that's just part of, I guess it's part of my gratitude like i just want i want to make sure in the non-verbals that people are like excited for me to be there and know my appreciation in addition to the the thank yous and the hugs and the whatever yeah but you're giving love you know someone's
2: expressing their art and you're giving love by eating it and i think that's cool that you do that that's why I have my little system. You <laughs> <laughs> just nailed it, right? Yeah. Like that, that's exactly why I have my system. So then I don't take tastings at lunch unless it's like something really special. And otherwise, it's like, yeah, I'll, I will come in for a tasting at six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> From and 6.30. Then, and then, yeah, I won't. Or, or, please bring all my food out at once. And then it's perfect.
0: So I texted, I texted, uh, Steve a little earlier this week and I was like, yo, we talking about this Popeye's chicken sandwich. What, what do you think? What do you see over there at Uproxx? Like, cause all I see right now, food beast is I just wanted to say that it came back. Yeah. And then all of a sudden every news station is like stabbing here. Someone jumping over the counter. Yo, what in we a put up on
1: Instagram of that car trying to cut in line of the drive through oh. literally smashing its door into into like a pylon because they don't, they are so worried about trying to get into this line they don't yeah. real they're not even realizing that they're destroying their vehicle to she, get into this line.
0: She pulls back out and rips the whole <laughs> side, <laughs> side of her car off. And then she's going into one of those uh, merging drive through yeah, lanes. Yeah. So the other guy, she's like, so she goes forward and knocks that car. And then now everyone's like hopping out. The poor uh, Popeye's employees coming out like, hey, sorry, we can't serve you. Obviously, you're cutting in this line. <laughs> right. And you're hitting
1: people's and cars and our property in the process. And so
0: the person who sent me the video was the person who shot it. And I DM'd him back. I'm like, yo is it cool if we use this video like to share with our audience also like was the sandwich good and he's like yeah it's pretty pretty good <laughs> <laughs> you see him at the end turn around and film his his friend and, and she's just eating it she's like yeah it's pretty good but like i was like yo was it worth the line he was like nah son but what you can do <laughs> is you could go inside order you pull your ticket like a yeah. deli counter and come back in an hour it took an hour for him to get the sandwich so I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like how how are we supposed to talk about this? And I I hit Steve and I almost immediately regretted it because Steve is like one of the most woke friends I have. And immediately Steve hits me back with like six articles about <laughs> the history of the chicken sandwich, <laughs> like why like we're over consuming <laughs> chicken, like food deserts. I was like, bro, I just want to talk know, about this I chicken know. sandwich. Uh, but this is why I love you, and this is I think it's important. But what happened in the same week? Is we also get sent a video about this whole camel being roasted at a Turkish restaurant, uh, and looked very delicious. But it was a very, uh, at least it, I'll admit, it, it looked a little crazy to me because it wasn't something I see every single day. Uh, I'm Middle Eastern, I don't eat camel every day, right? And well, have you eaten camel ever? I've actually never eaten camel. Yeah,
1: so it's not only every day. Yeah, It's like you've and, never eaten it.
0: Yeah, and sure. so
2: I couldn't like... I mean, don't know that... And is it more commonly eaten in the Middle East or...
0: There is... So like, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. Okay. People around the world do eat it, and it's not necessarily relegated to the Middle right. East. I, I, I bet know. it's
2: Australia, there, right?
0: Australia has has uh, camel associations, and then there's also, you know, in... You know, Dubai, there's camel farms where they're they're milking camel, they're consuming sure. camel. So it's a thing. Okay. Anyways, so we get this video and it's a Turkish restaurant. I like how you
2: act like I don't have my notifications on for Food Beast. <laughs> I see everything you guys do. Don't worry. I saw your video of the roasted camel. Okay.
0: So we wrote an article about it. Izzy wrote the article, did really well. Yeah. Uh, Talked about the restaurant, how it feeds. That one camel feeds up to 250 people, if not more. Yeah. I put it up on Instagram before I was going to sleep on the Food Beast account. Just so you guys know how Food Beast Instagram runs. Sometimes it's just Eli. (laughs) Sometimes it's very methodical. Sometimes it's, we just send a video and I put it up. Yo, let's run this. Let's run it. Sometimes I just make those calls. Executive decision. So let me walk you guys through this video. It's a giant camel, skinned already, prepped to meat like it would any other animal. And it's it's going into this massive smoker, almost like it's a custom built smoker at this Turkish restaurant. It looks
1: like a mini tomb. Yeah, it looks. Oh, that's good. It's literally like the rock was pulled away from the opening of the smoker Mm. and then a camel, full camel. That's like literally still in a standing like it's standing on four legs still yeah. like so you it, can really
2: see how it's a body like you can it, really yeah, see the you, dynamic of this thing once of being the, alive
1: the differentiating hump of the animal is like you know it's a camel even though you what because of the of what you're looking at yeah right?
0: and then the the smoker the guy that's that's doing i don't know if he owns the restaurant or he's the pit master whatever he pushes it in and smokes the whole thing 24 hours later you see him reveal it and takes a little bit of the meat off enjoys it and you get the idea that they're going to serve it at the restaurant sure i put this video up for no more than 10 minutes and you guys on instagram who called me out for it, well, i'll take i'm going to take i'm going to take this hit i don't i don't give a shit i'm going to talk to you guys about my real feelings i took the video down in 10 minutes cuz i was like i'm going to talk to the boys it's too late at night i like don't know if i didn't present this consumption of meat properly but within 10 minutes we had like 300 comments uh half of them were like "Ugh, gross uh disgusting how dare food beast unfollow unfollow some people were like Yo, it's dope oh man i've never had camel can't wait to try it they're so really forth, going so at you guys they were going after it so uh i don't did it go up right now or again anyways Oh, cool. Anyway. I guess it went up again. So there's yeah, yeah. we put it up again today. new wave <laughs> of people. Sorry, no, no, no.
2: I maybe just ruined your day. So, no, a new no. wave of people. I don't give a shit. So we're gonna now. talk about
0: this. So what happened is it went up, and I just I took it down uh, for a myriad of reasons. I was like, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about it too much. Anyways, people around the world eat different meats, mm. and who am I to judge? Who are we to judge? Uh, but I, I wanted to be respectful, and I just took it down. I just took it down. I knew I I knew I would put it up later. I wanted to talk to the team and sure. talk to our smart editorial people, nice. talk to everyone in our company who's very diverse. I was like, "Guys, is there a way we could present this in a way that is not c- clickbaity, if you will? Like, what is our what is our responsibility in talking about this food?" Can
1: can you connect the dots for me of like How this connected in your brain like
0: camel to Popeye's? Yeah, I'm I'm getting there. And because it it connected the next day when I saw the I took that video down the next day, I see articles popping up about people in droves, hundreds of thousands of people fighting in Popeye's lines, clamoring over chicken sandwiches, clamoring, uh, fighting other humans. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then I w- took, went back to the archived video of me w- putting up that camel and I looked at some of the comments, some of the people that like vitriolic stuff sure. against us as people curating this content, the p- the person putting that camel in, people eating it. And I looked at them and I clicked on some of them because I just want to understand them as people and where this sentiment comes from so I can have a better sentiment and explanation when I republish this video and tell this story mm. again. And they have pictures of Popeye's chicken sandwiches. They have pictures of meat. And is it that you we just don't want to see where food comes from? And here's why the connectivity happens. And and I'll, just me as a person that eats meat, I need to see a video of this camel going into a smoker a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a hero. I'm not, none of that shit. I just need to. See, I'm not gonna go slaughter an animal myself. And cook it and eat it. I'm not going to do that. But I need to see where the food comes from every so often. That's my toll that I'm paying on this road of eating meat. I need to see it every so often. And my responsibility as a principal at Food Beast is to show you where food comes from every so fucking often so I can have some sort of easy sleep showing you a Popeye's chicken sandwich the other 364 days of the year. So that's what I fell asleep and I woke up on and that like drained me because to this morning right before us recording this podcast, we have fucking 10 people curating what the caption should be to explain why camel is eaten in another part of the world. Where we're not giving that same care to why people are eating Popeye's chicken sandwiches by the millions. That's where I feel. That's how they connect. How do you guys feel?
1: Well, because to go even further, is homeboy the, is,
0: just spit
1: smoke though. Like I don't even I wish know where your it's aimed listeners
2: at. could be in the room. That was beautiful to listen to, and I can't wait to hear what everyone says. I am so glad to be here for this episode because I have so many thoughts on it. Jeff, you were saying,
1: well, because is the connect? I just want to try to understand this sure. because uh, to me, like, is the connectivity based on what you were saying? The fact that. There are now millions of people across the country that have either attempted or had the chance to eat this sandwich, whether that was, what, six weeks ago or eight weeks ago to now with the release where I'm sure they're stocked up everywhere for the Armageddon of chicken sandwiches. (laughs) And it's like no one gives like one rational thought of the animal that's a part of that chicken sandwich or the, sorry, millions of animals that are now a part of this fervor. But when we show not the, we didn't show uh, the butcher process. We didn't show the killing of the animal. We showed showed an animal that was prepped for smoking. Um, And so because of the fervor and the type of person that's giving that fervor, is the same person that's eating the chicken sandwich casually yes so your connectivity is like why why like why are we have why are we having outrage here and no outrage
0: there yes is that is that your yes point? and and on our end uh, on food beast we spent a collect I, I spent a collective like three four hours just talking with people and trying to understand how we should <clears throat> convey why we are showing a video of one animal getting smoked and served to feed 250 people. We don't spend more than 30 seconds in how we talk about a Popeye's chicken sandwich lands on the fucking table or why people are in a a drive-thru. So like that's... Uh, For me, it was just like a draining process. I don't even know where, like, the connectivity is still happening right now.
2: And it's interesting because society is caught in this very fascinating place, right? Which the place that they're caught in is um, what I would call inverse wokeness. Mm. So someone who comments on your comment about your your video of a camel is essentially trying to say, like, oh, this is brutal. Mm. Um, This is crude. This is something society should be beyond. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. the true wokeness, the next level, would be to look at how factory farming is done here in the United States, to look at the conditions that chickens are kept in, to look at how as we deregulate that industry, what we have done is created terms like free range. I mean, you guys know like with free range, right? Like, you know, all that a chicken has to be able to, to do in a free range is just spin around, right? Like that's the free range. Is just one, one 360 degree spin. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really require, it doesn't have a, a mandate of how many feet it is. Um. Or we look at like this, like open range chickens, or organic chickens, or, or some of these terms that are murky intentionally because the people regulating them need to grow as many chickens as they can in as small of a space as possible. One of the really common things, I'm going to say this, and you guys are going to cringe so hard. And if you have to edit it out, do, but one of the. <laughs> One of the really common things that happens at chicken farms, factory farm chicken, and one of the reasons why they are are loathe to put them all together in the same space is that um, – and one of the reasons why historically chickens have been debeaked, it, which is another horribly crude practice that happens, is that chickens will, out of hunger – will attack one another and they will go to the softest spot on one another's bodies and in a chicken's case that's the vagina the hen's case that's the vagina right and so you'll have chickens literally dragging the entrails out of one another via their vaginas and this is pretty i mean this is all easily googleable right this is information that viewers who cringe over a whole roasted camel just don't want Mm. And the reason we don't want it is it's not comfortable to us and it, and, it, and it disquiets us and it makes us ask these really difficult questions. But the fact of the matter is, and it, you know, that the idea of roasting, you know, ethically butchering and roasting a whole camel is by miles, especially because that camel has to be mature, right, to feed that whole village or, or that whole restaurant or whatever you said has to be mature, is by miles better than raising a chicken in a battery of cages and having it be raised with hormones and and completely pumped up for two weeks and then get slaughtered, you know. My, would, mind would, you, that
0: camel was under halal standards <coughs> as well, right? So, like you know, like I, I'm assuming that's what you're alluding to yeah, as well. Exactly. On top of it, outside of just being a true free range animal in that part of the world, you know, that's that they're using to feed a village, you know,
2: right. So there's just this lack of examination that happens over and over and over when we talk about animals. I'll tell you the worst phone interview I ever got on was just a couple weeks ago. And this it was a guy, he plans celebrity vacations to the stars. And I'm a travel writer. I was excited to talk with him. I was interested. And one of the things that he's been doing for the stars lately is planning trips with them. And some of the money somehow, there's some financial stream to... Keep people from eating dogs in China, in southern Southern China, and he told me this, and he was so proud of it. And I said something that was really inflammatory to him, and the interview went sideways. And I said, but "Yeah, but why? Why would you want to keep people from eating dogs?" Who spicy?
0: What he said? And that is
2: spicy, and it, that's something <laughs> I've said. I mean, I've uh, even when we've talked about. Um, Removing the gaze of the culinary world from just the West or or just, you know, Europe and the West. Even when we talk about that, a bunch of woke people in a room talk about that. And I've said things like, well, yeah, and also we need to understand cultural relativism and we need to be able to let people eat the foods that are culturally traditional to them and not insist that they have pets of foods that are culturally traditional to them just because that's culturally traditional to us. Um, He got really upset. He was like, well, why would anyone eat a dog? I was like, I don't know. Because it's not my culture. Yeah. But it's someone's culture. And you certainly couldn't make the argument that dog is, you know. Dog's great. I love dogs. I hate the idea of eating a dog. But it's also... if I was raised to hate the idea of eating a chicken, maybe I would hate that. If I mean, we know that that's how the human brain works because we've seen it in India, right? Like we see that they're raised to revere cows, which we slaughter in mass. Yeah. And so I think like there is this thing that we're not doing, which is saying maybe the way that we're doing things needs to be rethought. Regardless of that, we can't assume that it's right. Right? The second we assume that what we're doing is right and roasting a whole, a, a whole camel is wrong, then that's cultural imperialism. That's still the colonialist thought of what we're doing is right and what you're doing is wrong and we're going to come plant our flag and tell you don't do that. Better to have chickens in sandwich form.
0: And that's... Part of those conversations and why I don't mean to be and I hope I don't come off as critical of the people who were criticizing the video I put up is because I empathize. I understand that you just saw something in your entertainment box of a phone that is not the norm. It's not the norm for you, for me. So that's why immediately when we had a conversation, the first conversation we had between some of our editorial team the following morning after I admitted to them that, guys, I took this video down. No one asked me to. Facebook didn't give me a warning. None none of that shit. Our article had been running for 24, 48 hours before. Everything's hunky-dory. I took it down because I saw when I was getting tired at night, and I shouldn't post that late on something that seems so crazy. uh, I saw people like, damn, bro, what's next? Dogs? Damn, bro. Like... Think about, like, a camel was my homie. Camel's the friend.
2: I like how all these people have such great associations with camels. Now. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've never heard anyone be like, camels are the dopest. Yeah. Ask
0: 100 people what their favorite animal is, but all right. And I'm just like, and I, I was looking at it, and I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to figure this shit out in the morning. So I'm just going to take it down. And I, I just realized that I what I wanted to empathize with was this just showing up in your feed you know, without any context, other than the original context we had was that this is served at a restaurant in Turkey. It feeds 250 people, take it or leave it. Yeah. You know, and my goal isn't to piss people off. That's not like, my first goal is entertainment as content. And then frankly, and then my second goal is spreading knowledge and awareness. Those are are like my, those are my guiding lights. And so, but if my entertainment hurts people at like, near my bedtime i'm gonna like <laughs> if it's i'm not dying on this cross right. tonight i'm not your doing i'm not a hero your sleep pattern yeah i'm not a hero man I'm, I'm not gonna stay up and try to converse with everyone in the comments tonight i took it down
2: so here's the challenge that i that i would offer to you guys here's the the um instagram that i want to ask if if you'll put up is Let's juxtapose the two videos, right? Let's juxtapose a video of people wilding out and fighting, looking for a chicken sandwich. And we're going to get into that. Yeah, we haven't even got there yet. There's a reason to do that too. But let's juxtapose that with roasting a camel. And let's have you ask your audience, why did our video of a human being roasting a mature camel cause more uproar for us as a company than two grown humans fighting over the right To get a chicken sandwich. Like why is the idea. If we really break it down. To like this molecular cellular sense. Why is two human beings fighting. Less objectionable to us. Than a camel getting smoked. Like that's really scary. Because
0: down to the platform. Instagram and this. So on foodbeast.com, the article doesn't get an uproar sure. because people are there. They understand they have the time to synthesize. There's a well-written article by Izzy. Shout out Izzy, producer
2: Izzy. Shouts to Izzy. Love uh, that guy. So you have
0: time to synthesize that. But on IG, you live in this world of world star fight. That's totally fine. Basketball, NBA fight on Bleacher Report. Totally fine. Right. Guys running up in, in Popeye's chicken fighting over chickens. That's totally fine. Next, next, next. Oh, animal you've never seen before in this capacity oh shit that shit was in aladdin dude was just writing it that was cool but now he's smoked smoke people are eating it those are fucking heathens over there shit, wherever that funny. might I'm pretty be sure there
2: were a couple chickens in aladdin too i i have that market scene my sister was into that movie i got that market scene memorized there was some chickens hopping around oh well,
1: and, that, and that's why i think there's a there's kind of an animal u.s animal branding problem right yeah. because we've been raised that like do, dogs are the best friend They're the best friend you can have. Why would you eat your best friend, right? The instant comparisons to cannibalism. Would you eat your best friend? Would I eat Eli, right? So so I shouldn't eat my dog. But I think that's, you know, again, I don't think camels have the best theoretical publicist in America. (laughs) Where, like, yeah, they cool, they showed up in, you know, Aladdin, Arabian Nights, and they, you know, they... But I think it's because they don't... People think of them as exotic animals, and like oh what what thoughts have people had in the us about camels so much fun to ride one
0: yeah right like
1: look look at that up. like think of the journey that i can have right like i'm i'm going to india in the next couple of weeks we are specifically going to jaisalmer this part of india because my girlfriend wants to go on a camel expedition hell yeah that's that's the reason i'm taking seven <laughs> flights in in 12 days to go to this region because there's this enamor with, like, take me across this desert journey with my with an animal that'll be my friend. Mm. It's the same when we hear about the horse meat in Canada, when people talk about eating horse here. It's like people are like, I grew up, I went horseback riding. I grew up with the horse. These are my friends. Why would I ever eat them? But again, like in Dubai with what you're talking about, these are camels domesticated specifically for their milk and just like cattle. And I don't know this for a fact, where I'm going off premise here Mm. is like, I'm assuming after a dairy shelf life, they are used for food because that's, that's what happens with cattle. And, and so again, I think coming back to the branding issue of perception being everything, people have a problem with it because their perception is what jokingly, it's like ironic that it is, aladdin like if they are thinking of people as the friend and the chicken doesn't get that because the chicken has a different brand here in america that people are so used to eating yeah chicken. i agree with
0: you 100 too low-key though i don't actually know if there was an animal or if there was a camel in aladdin i'm just trying to be as into like into as deep middle middle eastern racist as possible just to get the point <laughs> across um and i and i don't know this also for a fact but i think like the younger the camel the tastier I think it's kind of like, you know, I mean, look,
2: for your listeners, um, first of all, shout out to the, you know, hundreds and hopefully thousands, hopefully ten thousands of just listeners you have out there, because there's a big segment of them who are vegans who are cracking up right now and going, well, we've been telling you guys that like, don't eat. (laughs) Don't eat fucking animals. So they're allowed to.
0: I like this though. Vegans are yo. Be outraged at. That's fine. You you guys are the ones that are that are living this truth. You're consistent. what? Yeah, right? you can. yeah, no, yeah. Right. the same yeah. energy. Run it. You guys can sh- show up at our door and have a conversation with me. I'm with it, Uh but but don't have any sort of Popeye's chicken on your feet and try to have this conversation. Well, of course, with you.
2: Uh, you know. And the the ultimate question I think that we're all wrestling with, and that everyone in food should be wrestling with, and there's a lot of people. Saleel Ho at the San Francisco Chronicle is doing a great job. Shout out Alicia Kennedy at uh, I think it's called Edible Brooklyn. Um, shout out Zach Johnston on my team Shout out Aaliyah Stearns on my team who are, who are doing a great job Wrestling with this idea Of what is the level of dominion That humans should have over animals mm. What does that mean in our modern world And to what degree can we exert Our locus of control Over the animal world And I, th- I think we really have to, to be cognizant of that We really have to think about that And it's something we should be wrestling with I say that as a meat eater I say that as someone who has eaten alligator, crocodile uh, multiple grubs, beetles, witchy grubs. I have eaten. What the um, hell was that last thing you just said? witchy grubs. What is a, that? It's not it like you just made that up. No, it's a big, buttery, fat Australian grub. I guess no one feels bad for them. So. <laughs> what's uh, a grub? Though? I'm eaten, sorry. Is that I like have a eaten worm? turtle? I have hunted oh, and wow. killed turtle. Turtle. You know where I got to take you guys? The the story I'm the most proud of, maybe that I've ever done, was this thing that was called Twenty Mile Meal, and I took my apartment in Laguna Beach. And I wanted to build a whole meal within twenty within a twenty mile radius to see if it was possible. Because a lot of this like eat local thing that we say is like eat local, like
1: eat the restaurant down the street <laughs> right, right, that right. shipped products yeah, in yeah, from yeah, all exactly. parts of the world.
2: Eat local, go to your local <laughs> restaurant where they
1: got their fish from Japan, and you're like, yeah,
2: sweet. Eat local, think global. I'm on this <laughs> shit, bro, and you're not really so.
0: Shake Shack tells you where their potatoes came from (laughs) across the world.
2: So uh, so what I did to combat that is I went into the ocean. I got a huge jug of water. I made my own sea salt. I went to a pepper tree that a friend of mine had. I I cracked my own pepper. I got everything from within 20 miles. And our mutual friend, Greg Daniels, cooked the meal. Um, And it was pretty incredible. And I was at some point I was had a real shortage of proteins. Everyone wanted there to be some meat on the place. And near here in Orange, in the city of Orange, there's this family. I got to introduce you to them. I'm still in touch with them. I garden, and I have a vertical hydroponic garden in my yard right now. And a good gardener who's, you know, normal, like living a, a normal life and within the flow and function of society is can ra- get about 20%, maybe 30%. No, 20%, maybe 10% of their edibles from their house. I mean like their lettuces and their basils and all these things. Uh this family was producing eighty percent. It was a family of four producing eighty percent of all of their food on a very small single lot house in downtown Orange in the historic district. And going to their house is the most insane thrill ride ever. It's like for food people, it is literally Disneyland.
0: Bro, take me there.
2: They grow on their zero lot line. They grow. They have a massive garden across their roof. But what was the most interesting was in their garage, they have a battery of game hens, like a whole wall covered this size, covered with game hens. And then the game hen poop gets scraped out into a system that goes to feed this massive tilapia farm they have in their backyard. Oh, my God. They have rabbits. Um, And so I went there and I said, hey, you know, eventually I started negotiating with seats at this meal. I said, I'll give you two spots at this meal for the two of you to come eat. If you give me some of your produce. And they gave me a couple big squashes. And I said, you know what we really need is meat. And they said, we'll give you a rabbit and one rabbit and two birds. And I said, "Okay, great. Two two pheasants. And they said, but you will have to kill them both yourself. We don't. We don't like to kill animals that we're not eating because it's just more killing hanging over us. So you have to kill them yourself. So I I killed all those animals, cleaned all those animals. They taught me how. They guided me through it and then walked away with a rabbit and two game hens. And that's what we ate at this meal. Wow. Yeah. Happening right here. I mean, a, a couple miles from you guys.
0: Yo, I live in the Orange Circle. This yeah. shit's like my neighbor. They're and I didn't neighbors. even know this they're was your, going you would on. You
2: never know. And they are growing. I mean, 80% of, of your food at your property is so insane. It's insane if you live on a farm. Yeah. <laughs> These people live in a very modestly... You guys have been to my house. They, their house is exactly the same size. Very modest house. It's crazy what they're doing. Yo. But it's a great lesson in, in saying I cannot avoid interacting with my food system and for me it was this great lesson of saying okay you know i may not be a weekly hunter but i don't want to excuse myself from having some interaction with my bigger food system
1: Uh, how has your how was uprocks covered specifically of like the popeyes chicken sandwich like what's the interaction point between what we're talking about and the chicken sandwich itself like i in theory, I kind of understand th- there are dots, but now I'm like, can we connect those can we connect those dots to the t- the chicken sandwich because yeah, for sure here's what I know about the chicken sandwich and I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think it's delicious <laughs> I like I fired uh, I, it's so I had good. I had the chance to try the sandwich before most people in my like inner circle of friends and family, Didn't get a chance to, and they had all heard of it. I'm talking about, like, my 65-year-old dad heard of the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Would want to eat it. They were all out. My girlfriend didn't get a chance to eat it was... really jealous of me having that experience without her to a point where I really didn't understand the jealousy. Because yes, A, I agree that it's like a good chicken sandwich, but it's a fucking chicken sandwich. There are chicken sandwiches everywhere and really good ones everywhere. And so I'm just trying to like, (laughs) I keep pushing you guys. I'm trying to understand of like where the connectivity is because I don't... I don't fully understand it just yet. Again, I know that there are lots of people consuming this, but why Popeyes? Why this chicken sandwich? Why is this the conversation for uh, the broader context of our food landscape?
0: And I, I, I hope we can get there. But for me, when I first talked to Steve, this was before the camel shit was starting to pop off. I didn't want to talk about roasting Popeyes. I was right. just like, yo, they don't know they. Uh, they should know better. Like I think every corporate place that's a restaurant that's serving this mass quantity, like they, they should understand where their food sources are coming from. And transparency is going to become more and more a piece of everyone's marketing. And eventually it'll nip sure. you in the butt. I didn't want to have the conversation. Cause I was like, this chicken sandwich is dope. We're really going to like throw Popeye's under the bus when like, I don't know where Chick-fil-A gets their chicken from. I don't know where McDonald's gets their chicken from.
2: And to be clear, I don't think that... So, So Jeff, I love that you said that, right? Because if you ever want to run for politics, you're my man. Because <laughs> because No, because you do um, such a good job and you always have of saying like, you know, let's connect every single dot for those who aren't connecting them. And I hope your listeners are still like, ride with us here because we will connect them. Um, so here's some of the dots that I see connecting. I would say the first one is... That this hysteria over food is not necessarily a terrible thing to me. I get I get excited about food. I've waited in line for good food. I there was a muffaletta sandwich that I waited for in Italy. Oh, yeah? There was yeah you know like I will I care about food very much. So it's not the waiting in line that I'm worried about or troubled by. I think a couple things. Popeyes is a corporation, and I think that. If this whole system, this whole conversation around Popeye's chicken sandwich teaches us anything, it's a little bit about how corporations work. One of the things that they try to do by nature of having shareholders is that they're a publicly traded company, is that they want to drive their costs down as far as they can. The chicken industry has actually, as a group, because they have McDonald's, there's some huge names there, McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, Popeye's, uh, Chick-fil-A. They have actually been able to drive chicken prices down and destabilize the chicken market. So you can actually look at um, at how hard it is now to grow chicken independently. Do you guys remember? Um, he was the guy who did Supersize Me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember his name, but
2: uh, gosh, God, we it. just interviewed him. But his most recent documentary is actually called Supersize Me Two. Morgan Spurlock. Mor- Morgan Spurlock, and it's about chicken. And we have an interview on the site with him. And his whole documentary is about chicken. And one of the things he does in the documentary is he tries to become a chicken farmer. And his whole documentary is really about how hard it is to be a chicken farmer in America because everything is controlled by these massive corporate interests. And you got to remember, behind these massive corporate interests are a bunch of stockholders who are saying, I want higher dividends. I need a higher yield. I want the stock to increase. If you want to stay CEO drive the prices down well what are the couple ways that people can drive prices down one they can drive down the price of the supply which is the chicken itself which they have done to this degree that has created the factory farming system that we talk about and cringe about today but factory farming is of course the the number one thing in the society where we're like oh factory farming Uh, it's shitty huh and then we like walk away and never think about it again Uh, but it has created that system but the other system that it's created is a system where the people who work at popeyes who are dealing with now There was a a stick up at a Popeye's over a chicken sandwich. They are dealing with people crashing their cars over a chicken sandwich. There have been a ton of fights in Popeye's over a chicken sandwich. The people who are dealing with that are making minimum wage to serve and make these chicken sandwiches because, again, you have these shareholders who are clamoring for more money. So it, it actually, like, Popeye's, this whole conversation at its best can allow us to investigate the fast food mechanisms that exist and the entire food way, right? And the entire food way that we've built up around fast food, which again is not something that I deeply abhor. And the reason I don't deeply abhor it is beca- because there are people who need it right now with That's what we have. Yeah. There are people who need fast food as a way to find peace in their lives because of the income they have and they need that quick meal. And if the quick meal can be good, more power to them and I'm stoked about it, right? But for the three of us who currently have stable jobs and you two are are the heads of a company, do I think that we can do better than going to Popeye's for a fast food sandwich? I do. I found one very close to here. I went to Richard Blaze, the the top chef. Crack Shack, Crack Shack. So what Crack Shack does, and I love what he does. First of all, I love his sandwich. One of the jokes that I've been making about this sandwich is the, the fascinating thing is we're acting like it's super hard to make a really good chicken sandwich. It's actually quite easy. Like I've never screwed one up and I've screwed up almost everything I've cooked and I've never screwed it up. But Crack Shack, they actually have a card that comes out with your food that talks very specifically about how their chicken sourcing system works. And they are better at sourcing than Popeye's and they are better than the fast food. Now they cost quite a bit more. Mm. So it's it, that becomes a tricky conversation too because you don't want to come from this place of financial privilege and be like, yeah, everyone, go to tra- Crack Shack where you pay you know $4 more for your sandwich and it is better sourced.
0: I mean, it's a lot. So the thing is, is, a writer on Uprock, Zach Johnson, who we've mentioned multiple times, he had a great breakdown of the history of the fried chicken sandwich and where it's at currently. And he breaks down the pricing in a really – interesting way to me because he, he makes sure to remind us that okay so a crack shack sandwich that you're talking about the locations that are it's like a nice part of san diego one location yeah and then a nice part of orange county in costa mesa where it's completely reasonable and normal to pay twenty dollars for a fried chicken sandwich and some fries and a drink sure right and so the next level is like a chick-fil-a sandwich costs three dollars and five cents uh, hattie b's great uh nashville hot fried chicken sandwich that one costs about nine bucks uh the popeye sandwich is selling around four bucks and uh, like the mcdonald's mcchicken is like a buck right Mm. so we can't it's almost hard zach mentions it in his article that it's hard to have the conversation because it's almost it's it's patronizing and not thinking about the person who needs the one dollar sure. che- that's become accustomed to the one dollar chicken sandwich, that frankly is what Food Beast was started on. Like that, those are the first things that I was independently able to purchase myself in college. Mm. Is like this is what's new at Carl's Jr. It's this the, this chicken sandwich is good to me right now. It fulfills my financial needs. It fills my stomach needs. It tastes good, and so it's it's that's why I like the wokeness. It, we need to have it, but then we need to understand who these things are, are fulfilling and what are the small steps we can take? You that's know? true.
2: It's also tricky, though, that we live in a massive lie. And I want to make sure. <laughs> no, we really do. I, I want to make sure your listeners understand that because that's something whereas, you know, when they blow me up about saying that it's OK to eat dogs if that's your culture, which I do believe if that's your culture, if that's how you were raised, like we, you know, Google cultural relative relativism and we'll talk about it. But um, but while they blow me up about that, like something I really will stand by is this is we live under the food system is a massive lie. And the easiest way I say it is when I say it to um, someone in my mother's generation, like baby boomers. I always like to say, let me ask you this. When you all were creating and supporting a system where they could hatch a chicken raise a chicken kill a chicken slaughter a chicken slice a chicken freeze a chicken bread a chicken send it across the country fry a chicken put it in a box with two sauces and have someone paid to do all of those steps for one dollar how come no one said, wow, we must really be cutting some corners to be making this work? And that's the thing about the American food system that we really have to understand is that we have been writing a bunch of checks that we can't sustainably cash. And one of them is factory farming. There are a lot of them. You know, we, we can't, we need to look at food subsidies that have been paid out in this country. Because if you talk to any good chef, Right? You talk to Jason at the playground, you talk to you know any chef that all of us know, any great chef that you love, any celebrity chef, the first thing that they will tell you is that our whole mindset about how much money we spend on food is wrong. How much food should cost is wrong. How much labor costs is wrong. How much we expect is wrong. Going, The first piece I ever killed at Uproxx and said, sorry, I'm, I'm killing this piece, was a writer who had gone to uh, Danny Trejo's taco shop and wrote this whole hit piece about how the essence of a taco, it, it should be $4. Why is Danny mm. Trejo charging $7? I was like, fuck off. It's, it's tough work making a great taco and it should cost more. We've actually lied to ourselves about that. The massive economic structures of how food systems work are false. So that when you two were in, you know, 12th grade and you were studying uh, personal finance, and you had to take that mandatory personal finance class. And the teacher came in and they said, yeah, like your food bill should really be about a third of your housing bill and, a thir- and your housing bill should be a third of your overall income. That was the, that was the metric. That was the rubric that I was taught at least. And that's a lie based on a false system that has all sorts of subsidies built into it and all sorts of shortcuts like factory farming chicken built into it. So we have to rethink everything.
0: That's wild because if you think Start about like, with the sandwich. I wasn't I was never a caveman, obviously. But in caveman days, if you broke down their finances like in a day, I would guess that most or a majority of your day is spent sure. trying to find food, which is essentially the cost of their day during that. So like, it was more than a third. Yeah, you know, it's a perfect example. That's that's wild to, to think about that too, and it's again, it's it's. I've been doing a bit of research on like vegan and vegetarian, and and there's a lot of philosophy and psychology behind the interaction and politics between, uh, you know, a vegan and a meat eater, an omnivore, a carnivore, and the levels of it, and a lot of it that I've I've found in, is that, and this isn't something that. I'm coming up with is just something that I most recently found is that we don't want to be reminded why we get so angry as carnivores at vegans is that we don't want to be reminded of shit. Every no, they come and like put a little pin in our and blow up our world bubble for a little bit, and we get pissed at them for reminding us that, frankly, they're not totally incorrect on some of their sentiments, but that that dichotomy that paradox in our head of like we know we shouldn't be eating this much of it it irks us to our soul and that's why there's this vitriol towards i think it's getting a little bit better but, no, but
2: that's why you got criticized. Right. The camel still looked like a camel as it was being roasted. So you got shredded and the chicken sandwich does not look like a chicken. Mm. So people are like, oh, that's cool with that. I can, yeah. I can wrap my head around that. That just looks like a patty. I know patties. Patties are delicious. That looks like a camel. I know camels. Camels are friendly and cute. That's angry to me.
0: Yeah. How do you guys how would you guys approach this camel situation if it was an Uproxx thing like I know you guys it's a little bit out of context you guys don't it's not like a strictly huge food vertical because cover food quite a bit Mm -hmm. in the life section uh
2: yeah i mean i would be more interested to cover the controversy right i would be mm, more interested to cover this conversation that we're having of why do we do this why do we why do we get so upset about certain animals and not others and what does that mean like what does that mean in the broader sense what it really means is that in our heads we have a hierarchy of which animals are important and why and i don't think we know that and i don't think we talk about that and i don't think we admit that right so we don't admit that we think camels are more important than chickens But that's what our actions indicate. Yeah. And that's always really confusing. I think that's always there's like a toxicity there that I don't believe that humans ought to be the ones making all those determinations of which animals are important. Yeah. You know, on the on the conservation level, as you guys both know, I, I, you know, came to Uproxx after six years of running a conservation column on the conservation level. One of the interesting struggles that they deal with over and over and over in conservation, why my man Steve Irwin was so important for that world. Is that it's very hard to get funding for reptiles, which I love, my personal passion. Um, for your listeners, some of the proceeds to my second book go to supporting reptiles. Some of the proceeds from my first book go to pr- supporting orangutans. But you know what happens is that animals that aren't cute very rarely get money for protection. Mm. Right? Like they, it's much harder for the WWF. The World Wildlife Federation um, to get money to protect ugly animals, to get money to protect leatherback tortoises than it is for them to get money to protect animals that are cute or beautiful or that we relate to, that we feel like some certain kind of cosmic connection to.
0: How do you feel about the most recent like Senate bill that was protecting animal cruelty as a whole? Have you heard about this?
2: I've heard about it. I need, I to, dig, not, I need to dig in deeper. Yeah, that
0: was a really uh, loaded question of shit that I don't really know. But I heard that a Senate bill got passed. I did hear Protecting that. animal cruelty. So on paper, sounds great, right? Like I think the images they use are dogs that are battered. And, sure. You know, if we catch you on social media dog fighting, like now the penalty is way, way worse or whatever. But is that encompassing? you know what's happening in factory farms and that's now now you're understanding the balance or at least i'm starting to understand the conversation around we're basically giving dogs a higher pedestal than the chickens and the cows and all of that because they might not be under the same protection on that bill now sure i I hope some of that bill covers cow protection and chicken protection i just don't know but Mm -hmm. i i it's funny what we're experiencing on a national, federal, policy level, and I, you know who knows why camels aren't a, as big an animal in the states because of that. Yeah, I'm having a, uh, like, sorry, I, I've been I've been kind of like
1: lost in my own head for like 15 minutes. <laughs> but it's because but it's because like you said something about when we or if I was a caveman, like how much of my. Money, if there was a currency and or time would be spent toward probably two things, right? Shelter and food. Like those are the two things. You're a caveman. You got the shelter covered. (laughs) Sure. If you have a caveman, we got the shelter covered or, but if you're, if you're clothing and an Aborigine, right. And like how much of your life, not just like entire life would be spent towards those two things. And, what's really interesting is where we're at as an advanced society, how much of our time we choose to put towards things that aren't shelter and aren't food because we feel like we're entitled to those things beyond the basic necessities, right? Like shelter, if we're talking about like our generation, like the millennial generation of renters and how, there's obviously there's like value of there's some sort of value of living in a, pl- in a dwelling um, but not necessarily putting the same value because it's so hard to even think about a purchase especially like here in California and like what it takes to even have the enough capital to think about that and then on the food side I feel like so much our, so much of life has become about aesthetics and so much of life has become about experiencing your best life and whatever definition that you have for what that is, is that if I can shrink my food, if I can shrink, uh, you know, a majority of my meals to be under this $10 price point that allows me to go to this concert or to this festival or to this whatever, you're We're making the easy decision of, okay, I can get a meal for under $5 and that's going to help me obtain something else in return. But those decisions are so loaded, right? I think that's like the the conversation that I'm excited about is like, yes, I understand the need for the dollar chicken sandwich for the person that has a dollar in their wallet. I completely understand that. I think the major I would I would imagine the majority of audiences listening to podcasts and therefore our podcast in general isn't necess, the majority isn't necessarily someone who like is relying on that dollar chicken sandwich to feed that them that meal that they need for sustenance that right. day that's I don't know our full audience and again I'm not speaking for everyone within our audience because I know there's a lot of people struggling but yeah I, I just I don't know i that's like where my mind is going of like how much we don't think we have the luxury of not thinking about it and then to make matters worse is we're probably receiving more marketing messages than any any organism on the planet. Ever, right? Here's like, how
0: luxurious it is. Steve eats one hour a day, dog. <laughs> you can eat You live in a beautiful part of the world with some of the most amazing food around and you decide to eat once a day and we all know you're full capable well, of Right? all we're your so, devices we're living
2: in so much luxury that we don't even have to eat three times a day like how well.
0: it's, paid, it's it's like what the fuck that's why when i tell my parents that like yo i'm intermittent fasting like, what the fuck is that you're not eating breakfast you're not eating <laughs> this like are you good do i need to help you it it's this weird thing where like we've now have so much excess that we have to train ourselves to not be excessive about it.
2: Yeah. And yet at the same time, as as you say, you know, people feel like they're struggling. They really do. And there are a lot of people struggling and it is a really tough thing to wrestle with. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know that people going people who can afford to not get a chicken sandwich at Popeye's and can afford to go to Crackjack. can afford to go to Morgan Spurlock's place, although he does have some Me Too-related sexual allegations in his past that that people may not want to go to his place. I'm not going to wade into any of that now. Uh, But people who can go to, to Crack Shack or people who can go to any place that really vows to be sustainably sourced, that all of a sudden is the sort of conscious choice that helps us build a better world and the tricky thing is we can all say you know yeah to build a better world we got to do this this and this but the one thing about me i like to stay dripping and so i'm gonna buy new clothes every single day and i'm gonna buy those clothes uh from a factory in bangladesh because that's where the streetwear company that i like makes them, you know, so they're going to have done that. They're going to have traveled in a giant tanker across the world, but they're also going to be made by, you know, people who were probably about 12 working in unsafe labor conditions. Not because the even the company is the worst thing in the world, but because they outsource their production or whatever. And so we make all of these sacrifices and we make so many not sacrifices. We make all these excuses for ourselves and we self excuse ourselves so much that, that the world's just going to burn, right? Now, for me, I don't necessarily believe that humans being on the planet forever and ever and ever is a good thing. Continuing the human race is not the highest on my priority list. So I'm not so troubled by the fact that the, that the planet is going to burn or that societies are going to collapse. It is going to happen. I mean, statistically, we just don't seem to be getting out of our own way. But it doesn't bother me on a deep level. I don't need to know that that humans are going to be on Earth 70 generations from now. I would much rather find out like, oh, you guys were one of the last cool generations. And then animals took back over. And guess what? They didn't fuck anything up forever. Damn, I knew uh-huh. having
0: Popeye's chicken and Steve <laughs> Brubucci would end to the end of the world. Right, right. <laughs> end of this podcast. But, I just if knew you, it.
2: but if you are one of these people who you want the world to continue... Then you can't make you can't do the mental gymnastics to make all the excuses for yourself and go like, "Oh, the sandwich is good though, so I'm gonna get it." No, don't get it. If you can afford not to not to eat Popeyes chicken, don't eat Popeyes chicken. It's poorly sourced, and the the people aren't paid a living wage who work there. If you can afford not to do it, get it from someplace better. I, it's super easy to get a good chicken sandwich, and most restaurants in every town in America have one. That's the thing. And if you're going to eat fast food, then give yourself a cap. Twice a year I get fast food. I know that I do. I go to Taco Bell twice a year. I love Taco Bell. Okay? Mm. But, But you have to, at some point, we have to say, this is the fight and I'm in it. And this is the stand I'm going to make. And this is a pretty easy one because there's so many good chicken sandwiches out there. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. There was a dope recipe that basically unearthed the Popeye's chicken sandwich recipe. And I loved it. And I yeah. think maybe that's the savior. That hard to that's play. the savior well, here, <laughs> distributing that recipe.
1: Well, I think it kind of comes back to like uh, food education, right? So when we, when we, or at least when Eli and I, we grew up, right? I don't know. Did you have um? Did you have home ec in your middle school?
0: Yeah, it was whack, so, but it was there.
1: So yeah, the only the only real chance outside of if I was to, I was lucky. I got. Raised in a home where my mom cooked a lot, so if I wanted that education, which when I was in seventh grade you wanted want nothing, nothing of, but now I want every morsel of her knowledge base. Um, but like home ec, theoretically in middle school, because I we didn't have it in high school. At least not to my knowledge. I don't think we, we just did. didn't take it,
0: bro, because we were so focused. Was it did driven. they have it? I think so. Yeah. Okay,
1: well, so within middle school and high school, there's potentially a there's one class that's an elective that you can potentially kind of sign up for. And there's a health class that might go over some like nutrition stuff with an outdated pyramid, right? Like that's kind of like the that's your food education growing up. And when you think about that that shit's out for, of balance. Well dude. out of balance for like you uh, as an organism on this planet are making food decisions every day of your life. You're gonna make tens of hundreds of thousands of food decisions if you live to like the average age of whatever the median age is. I don't know what it is. But
0: we we'll sure. make hundreds a day. And
1: and how many and how many of those like decisions are based off of any sort of knowledge base outside of I like this. This is uh, at a store that I'm at, right. and I guess um, I heard something about nutrition or something, whatever. And you kind of live your entire life in in this bubble where you're like, I heard this, I accept this, I reject that. I did read that article. Super stoked for me. And you go down this path, but in comparison to like ev- like work, or in comparison to like how people really should educate themselves with finance or food, things that really affect not only like your individual life, but then the world surrounding you is it's like, try
0: try it and figure it out yourself. I mean, I think what you're bringing up is kind of a flawed education system that none of us have an answer for, but the idea is, is the same. Even when Steve was mentioning earlier, like when you go in that finance class and they're basically telling you the high level of a third of your income should be going to, or should be less than that for your food. Is still as fucked as a home ec and health class Is an elective in high school And like so I I remember taking that It was a health ed class I decided I'm going to opt into two weeks over the summer Because it's way easier than a whole semester during the year But that's where I'm learning about sexual health That's where I'm learning about my body That's where I'm learning about like What I should be putting in nutrient wise That's in two weeks during a summer Where I'm just busy dozing off looking at chicks and trying to go play basketball after. Yet, there's six hours of every day where I'm learning fucking geometry that I haven't used, where I'm like reading about English. I loved English class, so I hate to smack Uh there, but history of of people that have fucked up in the past with no (laughs) excuse of how to go forward. You know, those are fucked up. And I'm not saying every... I'm not saying our earlier education should be completely reformatted to be culinary school, but if there's if i'm dealing about stuff going into my body i think you should almost force people into it's culinary it's good to know the world that a you're a part
2: bit. of it's good to know you know i love that i spun you guys out on this wave and i'm sorry <laughs> we
0: have to I, find a way to know, bring it back he, i don't know how long you know, it's i'm positive. sorry
2: i'm sorry to izzy most of all like he's such a nice guy to me and every time i want to come on he allows me to come on and and yeah i've spun you out to this existential place but i i honestly think like it is an important conversation for us to all be intimately aware of our relationship with the world that's the easiest way to say it and the answer to me at least in, in, in what i've studied and what i've learned is what's it gonna take it's gonna take everything it's gonna take a lot of saying no to meat, it's going to take a little bit of having smaller meat portions. It's going to take a little bit of indulging because we were raised on meat and we want to enjoy the lives we have. It's going to take a mix, right? Evan Marks, who is an ecologist who I brought on mm. your show when you were first starting this show, it was the first time he was here and he's an old friend of mine, but I hadn't seen him in a couple years. And he said something on here about how we could return to older food ways and how we could Feed the world with, you know, using uh, permaculture and traditional agriculture. Me personally, I didn't want to argue with him on air. I didn't want to start a fight with this old friend of mine in front of you guys for the first time. Me personally, I don't agree with that. I, I believe in that. In a world. Uh, in a country, let's say, where we have 100 million people, maybe 150 million people. But I don't agree that with that in a country where we have 300 million people, which is what we have now. I don't agree with that in a world where we have you know 7.5 billion people, which is very close to the Earth's maximum carrying capacity. We are going to need a little bit of everything. So that when one of your writers pitches you a, a thing about like lab-grown meat, I believe that's part of what it's going to take. And when one of my writers pitches me something about the Beyond Burger, I believe that's part of what it's going to take. And when Evan Marks says we can use permaculture better, I believe that's part of what it's going to take too. It is going to take a massive system of ideas to help us uh, reclaim our food ways and make our food ways better and improve them and feed the, the enormous number of people we have, right? Because it's very easy for us to say – you know, like uh, at Uproxx, because of Zach's incredible work, we've been, we've been deeply interested in the indigenous food way. Mm. But there were never as many indigenous people here on the, on the United States, at, this territory, rather, this land, as there are humans in this country right now, right? So we're, we're dealing with different problems and their problems of scale. So I do think it's going to be really complicated as we talk about food systems. And the best thing about this sandwich to me, Although every review I've had is fantastic. The best thing about this sandwich is that it's starting conversations like this. That Solilho at, at the San Francisco Chronicle is writing about it. That Zach Johnston at Uproxx is writing about it. That the two of you are having your staff write about it and you're having conversations about it. Because if the baseline person knows about it, as you said, your father knows about it, everyone knows about it. Then the cool thing about that is the baseline person has enough information to have the conversation. And that's what we haven't had in our food system for a long time. There's been such a lack of awareness of different pieces of the food system that it's hard to even get in the door with a conversation. That's when you get blocked and all of a sudden the same person who's eating a chicken sandwich in one hand is scrolling like, F you, I'm unfollowing about uh, an entire
1: camel on the other hand. That's
2: where we really get blocked.
1: So does the success of Popeye's chicken sandwich, like that Does that inherently like put the target on Popeye's back? Because like, I'm just saying that's the reason why we're, ta- we're, we're talking about it. Right. right? No, Is it's like it's not.
2: It's all fast food. And, and we have a whole fast food vertical on our in our food section. We call it the fast food, fast food culture as if it's its, its own thing. I'm not I am not immune from any of this. It's all of fast food. But you have to figure out where to contextualize each piece of your, your food life, your food decisions as both of you termed it. You have to figure out where to contextualize that in the broader system of your life and what you
0: believe a human's role in the world should be. You hit them where it cares, and I think that's where Popeye's is forcing people to care right now. It's because if you told people to change their ways about like the McChicken, if you don't give a shit about the McChicken, you just let it go out the other end. But like right now, we're hitting it where people care, and it, they, people seem to care a lot about the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Right,
2: which makes it a great passion point for us to have these conversations, right? I mean, I would truthfully,
0: I would be satisfied because there's a whole other
2: layer here that we haven't gotten to, and we and we probably won't get to. And I don't need to jam down any, anyone's throat. But I would even be satisfied if Popeye said, "Look, the first step we're going to make, we're making so much on these sandwiches, right? Like, I, how cool is transparency?" First of all, if they said, we're making so much on these sandwiches, we're actually going to bump the price up a dollar, guys. If you don't want them anymore, fine. But the whole world seems to want them. We bet you'll pay an extra dollar. Here's exactly where that dollar is going to go. It's not going to go to our shareholders. It's not going to go to our CEO. It's not going to be a bonus for anyone. Here's where it's going to go. 50 cents of that dollar is going to go to uh, our employees. Mm. It's going to up the rate that we're able to pay our employees. Now, for how many sandwiches they push out the door in an hour, that's actually a fair bit of money. Yeah. Okay, now the other 50 cents of that dollar that we're upping it is going to go to better sourcing for our farmers. Those two things for a $5 sandwich, boom, I'm in that line
0: with all those maniacs. I'm ready to do it. Because you know that's going towards some sort of investment. Because I was going to ask this earlier is just how do these big massive fast food chains change overnight? I guess the answer is they don't. But if they're transparent about, you know what, we don't know yet. We're serving a lot of chicken right now. We don't know yet how we're going to make it sustainable. But here's the thing. We're bumping in a dollar, like you said. Yep. These 50 cents, it's going to go into this coffin. That This is where we're going to ideate how we do this, whether we're going to find a better source. Do You keep all your money in coffins. Yeah. I, I wanted is to say him? coffer, but I said coffin. But it actually, whoa. I was like, damn, damn homeboy gets grim with it. This is, I guess, like,
1: you can't take it with you, bro. I guess I shouldn't have mentioned that
0: the world was ending because now shit's dark. I knew this shit would go down a rabbit hole oh. uh, or in a coffin. But yeah, uh, that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. I mean, they could change the world,
2: right? Like they could, the the CEO of Popeyes could instantly change the world. And here's the crazy thing is their stock price would probably go up because all of a sudden they would have some bit of sustainability story. Popeyes right now has no bit of sustainability story. They have nothing, you know, but their stock would probably go up and they would probably succeed. What Popeyes seems to be doing right now is saying like, we're just going to ride this shit out. And we're just going to keep making money hand over fist as long as we can because that guarantees the CEO his job for another quarter while while costs are going up. And then in two quarters, they're going to realize how important product introduction was, and which is a lesson that other fast food chains have recognized years ago. And they're going to say, okay, we're not only that, but we're also doing this new thing. It's called the chicken double melt or whatever. And it's two patties and it's got a pound of cheese in between. Now, that I might line up for <laughs> but. But, you know, they have a chance to actually change the conversation because they're in the middle of it. If they don't do that, if they don't even take that step, then we know who we're dealing with at least.
0: Yeah, I don't think we could have ended it better than that, guys. I'm, I'm glad we actually were able to talk this long and this this decently about the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Oh. Thank you. I feel a little bit better about my camel situation.
2: I feel so good about your camel situation. I really want you to try my video. Of, I'll, We'll send it over to Uproxx. I'll have our team edit it together and we'll send it back to you guys. I want you to try my video of like, why did these two videos, why did one start more controversy than the other that's so troubling to me
0: i don't think the video of the popeye thing didn't start controversy either Oh, okay uh, you know i don't want to i just want to clarify that i think it, it was a definitely a, a human story of like damn y'all are clamoring over this and people were ragging on the people in the video versus okay. like just the general sentiment about Popeye. So that one had some issues. The, the issue wasn't with Food Beast though, and I think that was yeah, the that's difference. What I'm that was the difference. As people understood that this Popeye shit existed, people didn't want to be reminded. Of the camel thing existing, thus food beasts can get in the crosshairs on that one. The Popeyes yeah. thing is not new that we're covering Popeyes.
2: I've seen you guys get in trouble for this before. There was something else you were slaughtering once that I saw you guys, people <laughs> go after you for. And I think the rabbit pastrami went whole, whole
0: rabbit pastrami. And
2: then there was that chef, there was a chef in Canada who had vegans protesting outside of his restaurant. Um, because he was so so actually sorry and you guys can cut this but the other place where this has become this conversation is very relevant right now human dominion over animals is that right now you know David Chang who I I just interviewed last week and you can see that interview on the site if you want um, one of the most famous chefs certainly of the generation that the three of us have been talking about food certainly of the 2000s David Chang is very upset because New York is moving to ban foie gras, foie gras mm. which is a move that California made. And a lot of our friends who were chefs were really upset about that. And that's that's an interesting conversation. And what those chefs are essentially saying in all those cases is this same point about dominion over animals, which is, is giving gavage to an animal, that's what it's called when they stick the tube down an animal's throat or they have the animal line up under a tube to fatten up its liver, is giving gavage to a goose that lives on a giant farm and can roam freely all day and is not slaughtered until it's mature, worse or better than the factory farming of chickens. And if we can't identify that, how are we ready to outlaw one while the other ha- happens rapidly at about a 10 million times, not joking, 10 million times of the scale, right? Mm. Like there are literally two farms in the United States that do foie. And so it's weird for chefs, and I get why it's weird for them to go like, wait, you guys are obsessing over about, you know, like maybe 10,000 goose livers that come out every year when there were 200 million chickens slaughtered last month? I That's hard to reckon with for a chef. Yeah. Know yeah. your food systems,
1: people. I know ask- your food systems. Steve, where, where can they can, uh, find you, your staff's writing, and... And Follow show. you on Instagram. Give us, give us, yeah, yeah the I'm show. At, give us everything.
2: Okay, let me give you everything. Let yeah. me give you all of it. I'm at uprocks.com. Um, the show is on YouTube backslash uprocks video. Uh, the show's called People's Party with Talib Kweli. We have episode that you guys are going to like coming up there with uh, Roy Choi.
1: Nice. yeah.
2: He drops a lot of wisdom. He's a fascinating guy and he intersects nicely in that uh, hip-hop, hip-hop community, culture, yeah. but also food culture. So we had a great talk with him. And then if you want to see the writing of my staff, which you should, they're very talented people, uh, uprocks.com-life.
0: Guys, go follow all of that. Guaranteed, Please. you're going you're gonna to have a great time with it. And new thing this week, guys, leave your comments about the episode in the Apple podcast review section. I'm just curious, like whether you loved it, you hate it, you disagreed with Jeff or you disagreed with Eli, whatever. No
2: one disagrees with Jeff. Jeff is so
0: nice. He's always like trying to bring us back on point. Go ahead disagree with Jeff. Don't worry about it, guys. (laughs) Have the conversation in the comments, and we'll read them next week. So we really appreciate every last one of you guys who are listening. I see you guys sharing it in your Insta stories. I really do appreciate that for me and Jeff. Uh, Steve, thank you again for showing up, brother. Thank
2: you guys so much for having me. It was a joy. All right, guys. Izzy, shouts to you for having to cut out all the mess that i said about existential struggles with the universe before <laughs> and after i think there was a section in the middle you're gonna have to cut out so shouts to you man
1: all you All right, y'all. see you next week bye thanks this episode of the ketchup is brought to you by dean's dairy dip the number one french onion dip in america and the classic cool and creamy sponsor of food beast kitchen League's dean's dip off we're pitting innovative chefs against Dean's Real Dippers in head-to-head recipe battles where the Dean's Dip-Off lets you join the live audience in trying to sabotage the competition. Yep, you can sabotage our contestants live, and no matter what, Dean's deliciousness stays intact. Check out the Foodbeast Twitch page for the live streams, recaps, and Dean's Dip recipe videos, and look for Dean's Dip in your supermarket dairy case because Dean's is Real Dip for Real Dippers.